In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. The psalm we've just been reading, it starts off talking about the Lord being a refuge. Um, and I don't know what you like reading, if, or even if you do read very uh, much. One of my favourite types of book are, are historical novels. And uh, they're often sort of centred around times of conflict within the nation or something like that. And the, the medieval ones, sooner or later, that you come across a town that has a wall around it for security, and maybe a castle with a wall around it, and then a keep within, uh, uh, within the wall. And that's where people would go to, you know, when, when the enemy's approaching, when there's danger coming, those living outside the walls would get inside the walls. They'd shut the gates, pull up the drawbridge if there was one, and it would be their refuge. Uh, or maybe if the enemy had overwhelmed the walls, they would go into the castle and get inside the castle wall, or maybe even into the keep itself to try and find a place of refuge. In more modern times, I suppose the equivalent might be the underground bunker uh, that people would go to. Or uh, during the Second World War in the Blitz in London, people would head down to the, uh, the underground stations and tunnels to, to get, be safe from the bombing. And we've seen also uh, more recently in uh, news reports from Ukraine with people hiding in basements below ground. A place of safety, a place of refuge. Well... Uh, this psalm starts off with the, the words uh, that uh, David is taking refuge in the Lord. I'm going to put the words up on the screen, just highlight bits of it as I uh, talk to them. Um, and that's, that's my aim, actually. Um, but if I don't, forgive me, just listen anyway. Um, but David is saying, in the Lord I take refuge. And that, then he has someone come to him uh, and question that. Uh, you know, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you then say to me, uh, flee like a bird to your mountain? Well, you know, David is talking in terms of God as being a place of safety, a refuge. You know, he's looking for somewhere to take shelter. And then people are coming to him, but encouraging him to flee. Go like a, uh, fly like a bird up to the mountains. You know, some of the hymns that are based upon this psalm, it starts off, uh, you know, the, the, these, uh, the way they've re represented these words. F you know, flee to the mountains. David is actually talking here, uh, or what they're saying is, Flee like a bird to your mountain. It's as if David has a special place of safety to go to. And as we look at this, uh, th there may be all sorts of parallels that we have 
in our own lives. Um, who was it who was speaking to him? Well, it's one of those psalms where uh, we're not told an awful lot. In fact, it's one of the, if, it, if this was a song from our selection of hymns and so on, I would call it a one-shot song. There are some hymns and some songs where they're verses long and they go through probably every doctrine you could possibly imagine. And then there are some shorter choruses and so on where it just talks about one particular thing. This in Bible terms is one of those. It isn't saying an awful lot, but what it's saying is important and profound. It doesn't matter that it it leaves out so much else. You've got the rest of the Bible to fill in that gap. Uh, You know, some hymn books... Uh, I meant to bring one up here. Uh, you know, it's all split into different sections. So if you want a, uh, a, a song about Jesus' birth, you've got a section about Jesus' birth. Or a song for the nation or something like that, there's another section there. Uh, hymn books are very helpful in that respect, and they also work in a power cut. They're very clever, really, limited in other ways, perhaps. And it occurs to me that there may be some here who've never used a hymn book, and some amongst the younger generation here. I'll show you one later if you've never seen one. Uh, but anyway, David is, uh, is being challenged about this. Some people think this is a, a friend of his saying, flee, flee, you're in danger. But it could equally read... This is a taunt by his enemies. How can you flee like a bird to your mount? Look, the wicked are coming to bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright. And when the foundations are being thrown, what can the righteous do? Or it might be friends wanting to warn him. For look, this is the danger that he's facing. He's facing physical danger here. People are out to get him. And he was talking about the wicked bending their bows. They set their arrows against the strings. And they shoot from the shadows, from from the darkness where you can't be seen. Thinking about this this afternoon, I remembered uh, when I was a teenager, I belonged to a a drama club. And uh, that used to go on very late into the evenings. We lived in North London. And so I'd be walking home at half past ten or eleven o'clock at night, um, and through streets that did have street lights, but they also had trees lining the road, which of course blocked out all the light from the street lights, apart from little puddles of light. And I have to say, in those days, it wasn't really as dangerous as the area is now. Uh, but I remember walking home and thinking, as I go through the light, it was fine, but then there was. Patches of darkness, and there's one particular place where there was an alleyway came out between the houses, and I always wondered what might be lurking round the corner. And I actually, it was a quiet road, so I, I, I took to walking straight down the middle of the road along the white line. If a car came, I'd probably get out of the way, uh, but I just felt I was in the light there, and you wonder what's in the darkness. Here, there was a real danger from the darkness because that's where these people were lurking, waiting. And, you know, and we read there that they were actually aiming to shoot at the upright in heart. Now, there's all sorts of uh, different dangers that we face. Uh, we have many different enemies. They may be people who are out to attack us with, probably not these days, with bows and arrows. There are other, other weapons are available. Um, They may be people who are just out to make fun of us, pour scorn on us, ridicule us, make life difficult for us. 
and sometimes because we want to follow the Lord. They pick on us because we're Christians, but there are also other sorts of troubles that we face as well. Many different dangers, and many different enemies, many different dangers. Things which bring trials and hardship to us. Beryl has spoken this, this evening about having to cope with illness. We might not think of that as an enemy or a danger, but nonetheless it is something uh, where it, it can be deeply troubling and worrying and, uh, and a lot of heartaches involved. And it's the times like that when we also need to seek uh, refuge. Go back to the psalm. Uh, the last verse, uh, uh, there, verse 3, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now you see, how you interpret this psalm, what, what, how we use it, it has been said that what it's saying is you shouldn't flee. You should stand firm and not be driven away by your, uh, by your enemies. Can I just say, uh, I'm not sure that's altogether true. I think there are times when it is wrong to run away. But there are times in the scriptures when the people of God did flee. And in fact, they were told to flee by God. David himself. Uh, I'm not sure I can think of any verses where the instruction came from God, flee to the mountains. But he, he had to flee several times for the sake of his life. King Saul was out to get him. Um, and various other things. In the New Testament, Jesus had been born. Mary and Joseph, uh, his parents and the wise men, the Magi came to see him. And uh, uh, Herod had learned from the Magi that a new king had been born and he was out to get Jesus. And God warned Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt for the sake of keeping the baby safe, baby Jesus. Then when, uh, and it said, when it is safe, I will bring you back. And they came back in due time, the instruction of God, and God warned them again uh, of, the, uh, of still there being a danger, so go and live in Nazareth, up north, away from the capital city, where uh, King Archelaus was, uh, Herod Archelaus was uh, <laughs> being as troublesome as his father was. Um, the times when it's right to flee. The Apostle Paul Yes, he spent time in prison. He stood up and was quite prepared to face the, the cost of doing so. But he also, on one occasion, escaped from Damascus by being let down in a basket over the city walls. He escaped uh, so that he could continue. Now, I've got all those verses highlighted on the screen. How can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountains, as if that's... Uh, being critical of that, 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 that uh, process because in the Lord I take refuge but I think the real key is found in verse 3 when the foundations are being destroyed what can the righteous do? it's almost as if to say well you know everything is going wrong here all our foundations are being shaken we're under attack there's, there's no hope what can we do? let's flee run away from it that's not what Paul was doing. That's not what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were just, in a sense, getting out of danger so that they could live to fight another day. They weren't giving up on God. This is more like a sort of uh, a, a council of despair. Oh, there's no hope. Just, just go to your mountain and, and uh, you know, 
set up some sort of commune in the hills where real life isn't ever going to affect you and so on. That's my hippie background coming out now. There you have. Uh, I, I, I think this is what, what David is being recommended here is a counsel of despair. And he's not going to take it because, as he said in verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. That's a quick summary of where we've got to. Many different enemies, many different dangers. And the foundations are being destroyed. What, what might that, that mean in our, our circumstances? Foundations are important. Founda uh, buildings need foundations. In our old church in Bangor, uh, we went through two chapels in the time that we were with them. Um, nothing personal. Uh, but the, the first one was suffering from dry rot and was generally falling apart. So we sold that and bought uh, another building that was merely sinking into the ground because it didn't have proper foundations. That was easier to fix than the dry rot because uh, we knew a little Irishman who could dig holes and fill them with concrete. And he did that, and the building's still there and hasn't moved ever since. But foundations are important. And foundations are not out of our lives. What sort of things might we be talking about? The things we build our lives on. Things like the, the word of truth, the Bible. Nathan was so helpfully talking to us this morning about the, uh, you know, the, the false shepherds, the wolves coming in and undermining Christian life, Christian teaching by teaching things that are not right or perhaps overemphasizing certain things and keeping quiet on other things. The danger that comes from that way. Um, if those foundations start getting shaken, then all sorts of things can follow. So uh, the things we build our lives on, the, the, the word of God, the truth, righteousness, these things are so important and so often the enemies that come question that, cause us to doubt them. Maybe our circumstances and our own sinful natures can, can do that as well. Uh, and the foundations start to shift. They might also be the things that we look to for support. The church, family, friends. Uh, people that we find such an encouragement and help. And, when, and, and if they are shaken, if they are challenged or even things like uh, bereavement or, uh, or family divisions and things like that can shake that sort of foundation. Uh, churches are, are quite capable of getting things so wrong sometimes and that can shake our individual foundations as well as just the foundations of the, uh, of the church. Things like our job and the things that bring security to, to our lives uh, things like our income, which means in many cases our jobs. Uh, you know, if someone, it could be being made redundant um, and suddenly finding themselves without the income they've been accustomed to, that can shake foundations, can't it? Um, maybe, as seems to be the case of so many folk I know, the jobs that they have are just having more and more and more demands made on them uh, and they're just not coping. It shakes the foundations. That's not limited to Christians or non-Christians and they're quite possibly folk within our fellowship who are really struggling on a day-to-day -day basis to cope with the heavy demands made upon them. Uh, if we were to lose our houses, our homes, 
that can be a real shake to the foundations of our lives and changes within society. I mean, I recommend the meeting on Tuesday evening to, as a representation of, of some of these shaking of the foundations, but stuff that you can't any longer rely upon being part and parcel of our society's life. Uh, I mentioned walking home 11 o'clock at night in North London as a teenager. Um, that was back in the 1960s, early 70s. And I remember going back there 15, 20 years later. And in the middle of the day, I felt nervous walking down the high street. And the shops that used to have open fronts with bits of meat hanging up and vegetables and everyone happily chatting and so on, was now like a war zone with shutters over the windows, even when the shops were open, just to, for, for, for protection. Uh, and I, I couldn't wait to get away from it. It felt so disturbed. And, you know, I, some of us have seen such changes in society over the years. And that shakes foundations as well. So the foundations are being destroyed. But the council of despair is flee to your mountain, flee to your safe place, and never mind the rest of it. Let's move on. David, his conviction is not that. It's not the council of despair. It's God our refuge. And so as we look at this, the Lord is in his holy temple. Uh, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. During our small group this week, we've been looking at the book of Daniel, but we, we got to the bit in Daniel uh, where Daniel's having a vision of what is happening in heaven. not going to go through all the details and so on, but what he saw there, this is Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. The, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then a bit later on, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me is one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There you have a vision of uh, the glorified Jesus. And, and in that, that, that description, you're in the throne room of heaven. And it, it's telling us that God is ruling. He is in uh, control. Uh, he can see everything. His eyes examine everyone. There is nothing hidden from him. He has power and authority. And if, if we as Christians are feeling a bit beleaguered, we're the only few that are around Maybe you feel like that if, you know, in your schools or in your offices or uh, in uh, uh, the streets you live or perhaps even in your family. Oh, I, only I am left, a bit like Elijah, sort of bemoaning that, you know, although he's seen such wonderful victories, he's alone. What's well, a reminder there was all those countless thousands upon thousands of people gathered before the throne of God, worshipping him. We're not alone. It's not just us. It's not just the folk in the congregation here and looking online. 
there's millions of other people around the world doing what we're doing today, worshipping Jesus. And he's in control. He has power over all things. You see, he sees everything. He observes everything. Um, Nothing is hidden from his eyes. Uh, He is reigning. He is in control. He sees and knows all things. We're not sitting there thinking, oh, if only he knew. He knows better than we do ourselves. Let's go back to the next verses. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. That seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? God hating with a passion? But you see, he is a God who is just. Look down the verses at the bottom there. We'll come to them again in a moment. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. And when people behave in a way that rejects his rule, his reign, his justice, his righteousness, then God is not just careless about it. He's jealous for what is good and right. And... If this thing will work. Ah, it's probably going to run on about five times now, isn't it? On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. It's talking about judgment. You know, sometimes when we're facing enemies, you know, real people type enemies, not just the bad things that happened to us or difficult things or the hard things that happened to us but people who are out to oppose us. And we think, how do they get away with it? Well, they won't forever get away with it because God will call them to account. He hates sin. But having said that, it's not just final judgment we're talking about there because God brings his punishments even in this world today. We haven't got time to look at it, but you could turn to Romans chapter 1, and there it talks about some of the sins that people fall into. And what is God's response to that? He gives them over to doing those things. That's his punishment. They can't turn around and say, well, you made us do it because they've chosen to do it. And then at the same time, he allows them to continue because they carry the, the punishment for their sins in what they have done. God acts in that sort of way. But then look at the verse 7 there. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Then that last line, the upright will see his face. That's a thought, isn't it? You know, one of the things which we're told we can't do and live is to see the face of God. And yet the promise there is that the upright will see him. We'll see him face to face. We have a hope of glory. It's not just the wicked getting their comeuppance. It's the upright being blessed. We have something to look forward to. It's not going to be unremitting darkness, gloom, evil, attacks, problems, difficulties, heartaches, foundations being shaken for all eternity but just in this period of time in which we live, this time here on earth. And Beryl was talking about the possibility of uh, of dying and going to be with the Lord uh, imminently. What's the worst thing that can happen to us in this world? 
could lose our lives. But in some senses, I mean, I don't look forward to the manner of my death. I'm sure it could be quite uncomfortable and maybe very painful, very disturbing, heartbreaking for people around me. But you know what is also one of the best things that could happen? Because we go to be with God forever, for all eternity. It's great if you are a believer. Like last week's psalm, we look at, uh, we see that there's two different types of people mentioned. Here we've got people referred to as the wicked and those who are the upright. Now, something we must never forget is that none of us are perfect. Nobody is without sin. But some people live for sin. That rules their, it rules their lives. Uh, and these are the people that uh, David is referring to as the wicked. They may be outwardly upright in this world's eyes, but not in God's eyes. They don't care for God. They don't have faith in him. They don't trust him. They would despise him. They may mock him, mock those who, who follow him. They're the scoffers that last week's Psalm, Psalm 1 spoke about. The upright are not people who have made themselves perfect in any way. Because even if we could manage that now, it wouldn't change what we've already done. But the upright are those who seek God, who have cried out to him and found forgiveness, who are in Jesus and are clothed in his righteousness. They may stumble and fall along the way, but they keep on going because they are the Lord's promised he would never let them go and this is only in Jesus that son of man character I read about in, in uh, uh, Daniel and this is where the psalm doesn't tell you everything that you need to know but I'm not going to be hindered by that I'm going to go back to, to, uh, to, to, to emphasizing these things it's in Jesus his incarnation his death his resurrection his ascension his rule over his saved people that we find peace that we find the, the help to be amongst the upright, the salvation that only he can give. This is the answer to the counsel of despair. This is how the, uh, he is the refuge that we can flee to because we become adopted into his family, forgiven, cleansed, clothed in his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the person who has sinned countless times already today but he sees Jesus so how can we take refuge in God there's many different answers to that um, oh. Oh, I've talked about that let's go on to the next page if it will <laughs> okay um be strong in the Lord. Okay, the passage from Ephesians. It's in there somewhere. Ephesians chapter 6. Yes, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We can take our stand by the things that God has given us. This armour of God, which actually when you look at it, it's talking about Jesus. 
This is the armor. <coughs> Sorry, be strong in the Lord. By putting on the belt of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth there is speaking about Jesus. It's speaking about the word of God, incarnate and written. It's also talking about truth in its more normal, everyday sort of thing. You know, holding on to what is true and keeping away from lies and falsehoods and so on. Put on the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, that, uh, that bit of armour that, 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 that protects you from so many dangers. And that righteousness, again, it's the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness that's been put on us so that we are kept safe. And God looks at us as if we're like Jesus. It's also a reminder that we need to put on righteousness itself in our day-to-day lives, not just relying on what Jesus has done. That's all we can rely on, but then living out our lives by turning to righteousness and not to evil. Feet fitted with the gospel of peace. It's always the slightly more complicated one to talk about. I'm not going to get too embroiled in that because my time has already gone. Uh, Nathan did say 15 minutes. I'm rather hoping that was one of those instructions that you get given. Uh, so, you know, meeting's going to start at half past two. Actually, it's going to start at quarter to three, but you're always late, so you're told to come early. So, anyway, um, feet fitted with the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free and sets others free. And we can go in that confidence. The shield of faith, believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, believing his word, relying upon what he is and what he has done and what he has said. The helmet of salvation. We are saved people. One day we're going to enter into the fullness of that. We go through all sorts of trials and tribulations now, but one day it's all going to be finished. And we're given a weapon as well, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Can I just challenge you? Do you read your Bible regularly? It often surprises me when I ask a question. I'm not asking you to answer, okay? This is between you and God. But have you read the whole Bible at some point or other? And do you regularly read it? I'm surprised often how many Christians been Christians for years and you ever and have never read every single part of the scriptures it's the word of God it's the sword of the spirit it's life and truth to us take time to read it and you don't have to sit down and try and do it cover to cover all in one go reading you know one of the sections from the NIV every day you'll get through the bible in two or three years it doesn't matter how quickly you do it but it's nice to know that you've actually read the whole thing that God has shed his blood for those are the things which we can do but they all depend on what God has done for us it's not by our own strength but by Jesus Christ I'm going to pray now and draw to close I'm going to hand back to Nathan he's going to explain what we're going to do next but first of all let's pray Lord we have read this psalm we've looked at other parts of the scripture and we know that without you we are vulnerable weak foolish, helpless, and without you we are nothing, worse than nothing. But Lord, with you we thank you that you have made us whole, that you are changing us to make make us more like Jesus Christ. In you we can find refuge and strength that you protect us, Lord, from all the darkness and the evil that crouches around us, that you help us to persevere through difficulty and hardship whether it be 
uh, at work or at home, in church or in the streets. Lord, help us, we pray, to stand firm, to hold fast to the, all these wonderful things that you've done for us, to know that we are adopted into your family, that we are your children and you've chosen us and called us and that you have promised that nothing will ever separate us from the love that is in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us. I pray for any here, Lord, who have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus and pray that perhaps even through the trials and tribulations of life that they go through, that they might now reach out to you and be found by you, be saved, rescued, that they would find a refuge from all danger. Lord, whether we are having to withdraw from situations, even flee from danger and disaster, Lord, help us never to flee from you, but rather flee to you. For Lord, we know that no place or any other person other than you can actually protect us fully, but you can. So help us, Lord, we pray for your name's sake. Amen.